Good morning. I'm Pastor Jake. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege today to unpack and study the Word of God with you. Uh, I, I'm excited about today's message. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. If you're on our online campus or, or joining us on Facebook Live, uh, get on the chat, get on the comments, let us know where you're watching from, how many people you're watching with. There's somebody there uh, with you that would love to connect with you and pray with you. Thanks for joining us at our online campus. Um, if you have your Bible, you can grab it and head over to what? Colossians, all right? The book of Colossians. We are in a verse-by-verse series on that book. Um, Last week, Pastor Chris covered uh, the last part of chapter 1, and so today we get to chapter 2. You guys excited about that? Okay, three of you are excited. It's fine. Uh, You're pumped about Pastor Dan leaving, but you're not excited about Colossians. That's pretty messed up, all right? Um, Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, So we are going to look into uh, the first seven verses in chapter two today. And just so you know, different translations of the Bible kind of divide up the Bible in different ways. And so uh, chapters and verses are all the same uh, with translations or mostly the same with uh, versions and translations. But you might find that that uh, a heading in one version that kind of separates this verse starting and whatever, verse 8 or verse 10 or whatever, is different than this other version. And so as we get into these seven verses, you might find uh, that we are kind of not stopping where your Bible stops as far as a heading goes. And that's just because those headings and those uh, demarcations are not demarcation. I just came up with that. Just right up. Boom. Demarcation. All right. (laughs) Write that down. All right. That's an SAT word. Okay. Those demarcations are, are not from the Bible, not from the original Bible. They they don't, they're not bad. They're just, they're just not from the original Bible. So when you look at that uh, today, especially you might see that in verse six, your Bible starts a new section. uh, But just remember that we don't really go by that. And so we're trying to understand what the Bible writer meant uh, originally. And those aren't in there. So, hey, uh, technology is awesome, isn't it? How many of you just love technology? Is it just, Let's just be honest, like, it's awesome living in this time and in this era. I mean, we are able today to do exponentially more and do it quicker than any other generation before us, right? I mean, things are just incredibly convenient. I don't have to use a map because Siri's got that covered, right? I don't have to do research. Google's handling that for me. Right? I don't even have to, I don't even have to do that. Uh, I don't have to go into the store and actually get stuff and put it in my basket. Walmart pickup has that handled, right? I mean, that's just the way to, I don't even have to search for like lots of, like something I need or want, go through lots of stores and try to figure it out, find out where it is, because Amazon is knocking that out of the park, aren't they? I mean, this is kind of the way we, we live. It's, it's amazing how convenient things are for us right now. Go back a little further. I don't need to harvest my own food for my family. I don't churn my own butter. I don't wash my own dishes. I, I don't make my own clothes. Wash my own clothes. Clean out the latrine. Go get kerosene or, or make wax candles for lights. I don't have to gather wood in order to heat my house and in order to feed my family. I don't have to walk for hours and hours or ride a horse for hours and hours or days to get where I want to go. 
I mean, technology has made our lives so much more convenient, hasn't it? Food, household chores, transportation, shelter, warmth, even relationships, it's all been outsourced to technology. I mean, I don't even, if I want to talk to you, I, I don't even have to go find you. I just call you. Wait a second, I don't call you. I text you. Wait a second, I don't text you. I Facebook stalk you. <laughs> just to see what you're up to. And then I call it friendship. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, we've outsourced this stuff. And, and all of this, all of this, technology getting us, all, helping us to get things done, it's all because of convenience. Every single piece of technology is created to give you and me more time for what matters most. That's what it's for. You feeling that? I mean, we have exponentially more technology, which has created exponentially more convenience than any other generation before us. So you guys feeling like you got a lot of time? I mean, you feeling like, feeling like you're reaping the benefits of this? I mean, if we went back 100 years or 200 years and we talked to our ancestors and we told them that how much time they spend on things that we just don't have to do anymore, that we just don't have to even think about anymore, our ancestors would be like, whoa, like what, what do you do with all of your time? I mean, you must have mountains of time if you don't have to do that, and you don't have to do that, and it only takes you three minutes to get to work, and it only takes, you know, this is crazy. You must have all this time. You guys feeling like you got a lot of time? Yeah. I heard someone say the other day that technology hasn't actually produced more free time. It's produced more pressure to get more done in the same amount of time, right? It's produced efficiency, which doesn't mean we do the same things we used to do quicker and now we have a lot of time left over. We just cram more into the time that we had originally so that our minds are even more fractured and fragmented so that we're always running and never stopping to think or reflect. I mean, think about it. We've We've not only outsourced all of those concrete things that I just mentioned a minute ago, but technology has caused us to outsource even patience. We've outsourced waiting. I mean, we don't ever wait. And if, God forbid, we find ourselves in a situation in a Walmart line or waiting to get our oil changed or in whatever waiting moment, God forbid we find ourselves there for 10 minutes, we just grab our cell phone. We just answer emails. We listen to iTunes. We scroll Facebook mindlessly for an hour. Right? Netflix, games. We've outsourced patience and waiting. And in so doing, we've accidentally outsourced reflection, quiet, stillness, a chance to exhale, 
and rest our minds. Some of you aren't listening because you're on Facebook. Here's why, here's why this is a big deal. Because it's in those moments, those quiet moments, that our minds naturally shake off what doesn't matter and begin to ponder and reflect on what does matter. That's when important, life-changing, vital questions begin to rise to the surface of our minds. That's when God speaks to us. And listen, I'm not anti-technology. Like, if you know me, you know I like gadgets. I, I love having my iPhone. I like to, I'm the guy who speaks to Siri a lot, all right? I'm that guy, all right? I, I like having technology. I love that I don't have to grow my own food. I love that I can get to my office in six minutes from my house. I love that when I get sick, nobody's trying to leech me, all right? I love that. I love technology. I mean, I don't want to go back to the good old days of plagues, <laughs> famine, outhouses, illiteracy. I mean, I'm just saying that we may have, for the sake of convenience, accidentally sacrificed reflection. And that could be a huge problem for you and for me if we don't correct it. So today, I'm going to give you three questions that just kind of rise to the surface, kind of jump out of our text in Colossians. Three questions for you to ponder and reflect on. Three questions that in our culture of technology and convenience, you could go a decade without ever answering, without, without ever thinking about. And my hope right out of the gate is that you wouldn't that you wouldn't leave these questions here in this moment, but that you would write them down, take them home, think on them later, which might make some of you do what you've never done in church, take notes. It's going to be difficult, but I believe in you. My hope is that later you'll put your phone in a different room, you'll turn off the TV, let your mind quiet, then ask yourself these questions and maybe some others that the Lord brings to mind. Look at Colossians 2, verse 1 with me. We'll talk through some verses and then I'll give you these questions. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So the Apostle Paul is writing from prison to a group of young believers, this baby church in Colossae that he's never met. Other than Epaphras, and we later find out Philemon, he has no direct connection to these people whatsoever. And yet he says he has this great struggle for them. He's in this great struggle, struggle for them. This word struggle here, it, it, the Greek word for it in the original New Testament is the same word we get the word agony from. 
And so he's saying, I'm agonizing over these people. He's agonizing over these people he didn't know. People he wouldn't recognize in a crowd. People whose names are unfamiliar to him. That their hearts would be encouraged in the face of the doubts and the false teaching coming against them. That they would be knit together as they face what the enemy throws at them, that they, would be, that they would have this blessed assurance, that they would be sure about who Christ is in them and who they are in Christ. He's struggling in his thoughts for them as he's writing this letter, hoping that they're going to get what he's writing, understand it, that the, the Holy Spirit is going to use it. He's struggling physically. He's actually in prison, facing persecution, and he's struggling in prayer for these young believers like we saw in chapter 1 when we began this series. And he doesn't even know them. It's not like this is a special case where he just happens to care about this specific group of people. That's not what's happening here. The Apostle Paul is agonizing over something bigger than just them. This is is about the cause of Christ. This is about Christ's church expanding and changing lives in every city, in every region, in every nation, on every continent on the planet. Listen, the Apostle Paul bled for the church. He bled concern for the church. He was all about it. If you opened him up, you'd find that every cell in his body was pointed towards one thing, Christ's church. He inhaled the mystery of the church and he exhaled the mission of the church. He was all about it. Passionate is an understatement. There was nothing else but the mission of God to reconcile the world back to himself through his son and through his church. That was it for Paul. He agonized over the church. The church being all it was created to be. In Colossae, in Laodicea, in in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, in North America, in central Illinois. Everywhere. So here's, here's the first question for you to ponder, reflect on, ask yourself later. Do I agonize over the cause of Christ? I mean, does it keep you up at night? Thinking about lost people needing the truth of the gospel, thinking about lost people experiencing the love of Christ that you have already experienced. And what do you agonize over? Money? Safety? The new addition on the house? Your son's baseball game? What do you agonize over? Acceptance? A promotion? What somebody said to you or thinks about you? What, do you? what do you agonize over? Does the cause of Christ to overcome sin, death, and darkness with his love, light, and light in the heart of every human being on the planet through the church even make your list? Do you agonize over the cause of Christ? Are, are you willing to? 
It's a question you have to ask yourself. It's a question to ponder, to reflect on. It'll be easier to distract yourself, to keep from answering honestly, to distract yourself from the conviction you feel. It'll be easier to get in the car, go to the game, go home, turn on Netflix, crank up iTunes, look at Facebook, empty the dishwasher, but maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should take a beat. And even in our culture full of distractions, find a way to reflect on this. Let's read those two verses again and then tack on verses 3 through 5. Colossians 2 verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So he says that in Christ are hidden all of the mysteries and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Remember, he's writing to a church that is being infiltrated by these false Gnostic teachers, right? They're saying that they don't have all of the knowledge, that Jesus doesn't have all of the knowledge, that Christ is not enough, that he's just the first rung on the ladder. They're saying Christ isn't what they need in his fullness, but Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing, no, 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 no. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ, all of them. There is no other treasury of knowledge and wisdom. Christ is this deep well of wisdom, this expansive vault holding truth. There is no other well. There is no other vault of truth. Remember the theme of of Colossians from our study so far? It's the supremacy of Christ, Jesus plus nothing. There's no other source of wisdom and knowledge. Again, here in chapter 2, the apostle Paul is calling us to lift our heads, to lift our eyes, to look up, up to Christ who is above all things, up to the things that are above. He's calling us to focus on the source of all things, Jesus Christ who is, who is supreme over all things over and over and over it's look to Jesus look to Jesus focus on Jesus go to Jesus look to Jesus run to Jesus fix your eyes on Jesus he says he's agonizing over the cause of Christ this young church that they would be encouraged and reach full assurance and find knowledge and wisdom in Christ, in Christ alone. His hope is to see them in good order, focusing on Christ and Christ alone, firm in their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing. Listen, beloved. When you struggle, 
When you face hard times and heartache and pain, when you come up against something you can't navigate around or get through, when you come up against a question in your life that you can't answer, when you can't solve a problem you're facing, the answer is not to put your head down and get to work. The answer is not to put your head down and focus on the problem. The answer is not to even look around you for the answer. It's not to look to the right or to the left. Beloved, the answer is always to look up. To lift your head and look to Christ who is the source to focus on Jesus, to lift your eyes. Listen, if you believe that Jesus is everything, if you believe what Colossians has been saying about Jesus so far in our study, that he is grace and peace, if you believe that, that he is the beginning, the end, and the now, that he is the source of all that is, the goal of all that is, and the sustainer of all that is, if you believe that he's the reason behind the sunset and the stars and the mountains, that he's the source of a cool breeze on a hot summer day, that he's the inventor of the love you have for your family, the hope you have for your life, the capacity you have to build, cultivate, and create. If you truly believe that he is the answer to your sin problem, that he is the only one that can make peace between you and God, even though you never wanted it to begin with, if you truly believe that he in you is the hope of glory, if you believe all this about Jesus, that he's supreme above all things, then though you may face a thousand difficulties in your life, nothing will ever really go wrong. Nothing will derail you. Nothing will devastate you. Nothing will immobilize you and take you out of the game. Because your focus will be on Jesus Christ in whom the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge is found. In whom everything you need is found. So, just as the impurities of metal rise to the surface as they're put to intense heat. So does another question rise to the surface as we study the intense truth of Scripture. When there are questions and difficulties, do I lift my eyes to the source above me or do I get trapped in what's happening around me? What do you naturally do? What's your tendency, to look up or to look down? To run to Jesus for the answer or to look within yourself for the answer? Science or scripture, to keep moving towards Christ or to stop and complain, to compare your difficulties against what looks like ease of life for, for someone else? What's your tendency when there are questions and difficulties? Do I lift my eyes to the source above me or do I get trapped in what's happening around me? 
Can I say, like the psalmist in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Do you hear what that's saying? When I'm in trouble, of course I look to Jesus. Of course I look to God. He made the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, why wouldn't I look to him? Why would I look anywhere else? He's the maker of heaven and earth. So I lift my eyes to him. Hear this. I'm not saying that by focusing on Christ, you won't have difficulties. And that, that's not what the Bible is teaching either. It's not that your troubles will disappear. It's that as you focus on Christ, who is above all things, you'll see how small they are in comparison. You tracking with me? You'll see how small they are. You'll realize how ridiculous it is to let these things distract you, much less derail you from what God has for you, even for a moment. You'll see how infinite Christ is in comparison to what's going on in your life. Another question for you to spend some time reflecting on. The answer might not be what you want it to be today. That's why we're asking the question. Maybe you find some time and get quiet before the Lord and you ask him this question. You ask this question of yourself in the next few days. Or maybe you ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Watch a baseball game. Look at Facebook. It's up to you. Check out verse 6 and 7 with me. It says, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. Anytime you see at the beginning of a scripture that you're about to read the word therefore, what question should you be asking? What's that therefore, therefore? Right? No, I'm serious. (laughs) What's that therefore, therefore? Because it matters. The context of scriptures, we approach, we don't, like I prayed earlier, we don't approach scripture like we do a newspaper, right? We don't approach scripture like we do a novel or another book. We approach scripture like it's the word of God to us today. And so, connect, so context matters, doesn't it? When a, when a verse begins or a, or a statement begins with the word therefore, that's called a conditional statement. It means that what, became, what came before it affects what comes after it. You with me so far? What's that therefore, therefore? Context matters when we're dealing with the word of God. So Paul is writing and he's saying, I'm saying, that, I'm saying these things so that you won't be deceived by every argument that sounds plausible. I, I rejoice in you being firm in your faith. Therefore, because of that, I say this. Therefore, as you receive Christ, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me read it again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He goes, I I don't want you to be deceived, carried off by every wind of doctrine that blows your way. I don't want you to be the the tumbleweeds of the Christian faith. No roots, no foundation, no depth, no strength. He goes, I want you to be firm. 
So just like when you received Jesus Christ the Lord in the very beginning, walk it out. Walk it out. Walk in him. Be rooted, built up, established in him. He says this is the key. It's not just about what you believe in your head. It's not, it's not just about that. It's about actually living it out. He goes, don't get caught up in your head trying to weigh all the time all these plausible arguments. Paul's going, no, no, no. Just walk out the truth that you already know. Just begin to walk it out, and that's how you'll build faith. That's how you'll be able to stand firm. You'll find strength there. Your roots will go deep if you do that. But let's focus on the first part. It says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord. I don't think this is random. I don't think it's just kind of ended up this way with all three of these titles or names for Jesus together. I think the Holy Spirit put it there this way for a reason. Christ Jesus the Lord. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Live it out. You know, receiving Christ is not just accepting him or believing that he existed, right? But that's what we teach a lot in our time. Just accept him. Just believe that he's real. Do you believe that Jesus is real? Yeah, I believe that. Okay, you're in. Just, just accept him. Just believe it. Colossians is talking about receiving him, Christ Jesus the Lord, in his fullness. We're not just talking about Christ as the Messiah, the promised one who would save us. We're not just talking about Jesus who's this historical person that actually lived. We're not just talking about Christ Jesus. We're talking about Christ Jesus the what? Lord. The Lord. Here's what I mean. We like to think of Jesus as Savior and Rescuer more than we like to think of him as Lord, right? But the Lord part is really where it's at. And that's really where it matters. Charles Spurgeon said that the word Savior shows up twice in the book of Acts. The word Savior shows up twice in the book of Acts. That's when the church is starting. That's when the apostles are preaching. And Savior shows up twice. But the term Lord shows up 92 times. Isn't that crazy? The early Christians, the first Christians, the ones right after Jesus died, was resurrected and ascended into heaven. The ones that walked with Jesus, the apostles, they were much more concerned with Jesus as Lord than they were with Jesus as Savior. And yet you and I talk about Jesus as Savior all the time, but rarely talk about him as Lord. We tend to lean towards Savior, don't we? Jesus loves you. He's here to save you. Just believe in him and he'll save you. Just ask him into your heart and you'll be saved. When were you saved? I was saved when I was 14. We talk about savior all the time. And listen, Christ is savior, all right? Write that down. I'm not saying Christ is not Savior. I'm not saying he's not. But Colossians just said to walk in him. And I'm just saying that it's much easier to walk in Christ Jesus the Savior than it is to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. Let me say it again. I don't think you got it. It's much easier 
For you and I to walk out, to live in, to walk in Christ Jesus the Savior. Than it is to do what Colossians just said and walk in, live out, walk out Christ Jesus the Lord. To live your life like Jesus Christ was real. To live your life believing he existed. Even to live your life like he's the son, believing he's the son of God and the savior. Even to live your life loving Jesus is different than to live your life like Jesus is Lord. Like he's your Lord. Think about that. Reminds me of a famous scripture in James 2. James is writing a letter, just like the Apostle Paul is writing Colossians. And he goes, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Believing that Jesus is God's son, that he gave his life to save you, that he's the savior of all mankind, all that, it doesn't mean that you're his, that you're a Christ follower. It doesn't mean that you have received him as Lord. Because to receive him as Lord means more than belief. It means you gave him your life. You can believe and not give him your life. Not follow him, not make him Lord. Are you tracking with me so far? There are false teachers coming against the church at Colossae. There are false teachers coming against the church of our time. There are false teachers coming against the church called Great Oaks. People all around us are choosing to believe what culture says, what they feel, what a family member feels over the knowledge, wisdom, and truth that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Paul is saying that the only way to stand firm against these false teachers, against the schemes of our enemy, is to walk in the reality that Jesus Christ is our Lord. There are cults all over the world that say they believe in Christ. Cults all over the world say they believe in Christ. But what kind of Christ? It's not the Christ of the scriptures. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Christ of prosperity. He's a genie granting wishes. Have enough faith and you can have whatever you want. Health and wealth. It's the Christ of comfort. I believe in Jesus as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Then I kind of shave off the parts of the Bible that make me uncomfortable and I kind of have a little comfort Jesus, right? It's the Jesus Christ of experience. My experience, my feelings in the end will tell me whether I believe what I read in here or not. In the end, my experience My feelings will win out over what the scriptures say. It's the Christ of experience. They all say they believe in Christ. The question is, what Christ? Listen, beloved, the answer to all of this is the continual bowing of yourself down before Christ Jesus the Lord. Right? The answer to this is the continual bowing of yourself down to Christ Jesus, the Christ Jesus of the Bible, as Lord. 
as the master, the sovereign, the beginning, the end, and the now of your life? That's the answer to all of this. Let me read you a quote from Billy Graham about this. He said, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. Walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. Be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus the Lord. Be established in the faith you have in Christ Jesus the Lord. Abound in thanksgiving towards Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ is your Savior no matter what you do, but he's only your Lord if you give him your life. Let me say that again. Christ is the Savior of all mankind, you included, no matter what you do. He gave his life to be a Savior, but he's only your Lord if you give him your life. You tracking with me? Let me say it again. Jesus Christ of the Bible, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, became the Savior of all mankind, your Savior, when he gave his life. You can't do anything about that. That's already happened. But he only becomes your Lord when you give him your life. Right? Christ Jesus, the Lord. So here's the question I think God wants us to reflect on for a much longer time, longer period of time than we have left in our service. Is Jesus just a Savior? Is he just a savior to me, or is he also my Lord? For him to be Lord, you would have had to submit your life to give him your life. Follow the truth of scriptures, even when it's difficult. Even when it flies in the face of what culture is saying, what family is saying, what friends are saying, what your feelings are saying. What would an an objective observer say about your life? Because when someone is your Lord... They control the trajectory of your life, not you. They control how you talk, where you live, how you parent, how you relate to your wife or your husband, what you do with your money, where you work, what you do with your time, whether you watch that movie, go to that place, live with that person, wear those clothes, Travel on the weekends. Have your kids in five sports or no sports a year. There are imperfections. And there are blind spots in all of us. That's for sure. But if you're not honestly striving to follow Jesus' commands in every area of your life, then he is not your Lord. You may believe that he exists. You may believe that he's good. You may even love him but you haven't given your life to him yet. If you're not sure about this last question, this might help you. If you answered no to either of the first two questions, then this last one's probably a no too. Just a thought. We live in such an interesting time, don't we? 
technology has made our lives more convenient and efficient than any other generation before us. It's supposed to save us time so that we can spend more time on what's important. But instead, it's caused us to just pile more and more and more into our lives. Not necessarily bad things. Like maybe you're not filling your lives with thieving and doing drugs and murdering people. It's probably a lot of neutral things. Maybe some good things. But not best things. Not God things. And there's no time to think, to meditate, to ponder what really matters. My fear is that we may have, for the sake of convenience accidentally sacrificed reflection. Answering these questions that we've been through, walked through today, or at least spending some serious time thinking about them, matters more than whatever else you've got planned this afternoon. More than the game, more than the project, more than the movie, the cookout. I'll be honest. It'll be hard for you to do this. It'd be hard for you to spend the amount of time you need to spend thinking on these things, reflecting on these things, asking the Lord to speak to you. It'd be hard for you to do this, to, to think about the questions from Colossians chapter 2. I believe you can, but will you? I don't know. Because I see how you're living your life, how fast you're running, how much stuff you're piling in. How rare it is that you allow conviction to stick in your mind and your heart very long because it's uncomfortable. I see how distracted you are. I know you can do this. But I've been praying a lot over the last couple of weeks that you will. Let's pray. Jesus, as always, we ask that you would seal the truth of your scripture that was communicated today in the hearts of everyone who heard it, here in the building, live online. Lord, I pray against our enemies' schemes to come in and snatch away the seed of your truth that we've scattered today. We ask, Holy Spirit, now that you would come in, that you would... Let that seed that is from you, the seed of your word, sink into the soil of our hearts and begin to grow. Begin to grow roots that go deep, that eventually bear fruit. As we started, so we end. Whatever was of me, we ask that it's forgotten quickly, but whatever is of you, whatever is of you, would it haunt us, God? not just something we think about and then distract ourselves to get away from conviction and honesty, but God, something that moves us to action and change, real life change. God, that's what we're praying. As we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, just in an attitude of prayer, I just want to give you a moment to make a decision. We, we talked about what it means kind of to, to follow Jesus and this idea of him being not just your Savior but your Lord. And that's, 
Maybe you're in here and you're, you, that kind of hits you and you go, man, is, have I given my life to Jesus? I know Jesus gave his life to me, but have I, or for me, but have I given my life to Jesus? Like really surrendered to Christ? Is he just Jesus, like this historical figure? Is he just Christ, like the Savior? Or is he my Lord? Is he Christ Jesus, the Lord, my Lord, my Master, the Sovereign over my life, the one that determines the trajectory of my life, the one that determines my decisions, my actions, my words, how I spend my time, how I spend my money? Is that really, where am I at in that? So maybe, maybe just that one section of this message in, in Colossians chapter 2, maybe that's all you need today to give your life over to Jesus, Jesus Christ the Lord. So if you're in here and you want to make Jesus your Lord, you want to give him your life, go beyond belief that he exists, go beyond the idea that he saved you, but give him your life in a real practical and everyday kind of a way. You want to be a Christ follower? If that's you today, I just want to give you a quick moment to make that decision. With eyes closed and heads bowed, just pray that prayer. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't even know exactly what that looks like, but I want it to go beyond just you saved me to I surrender to you. I submit to you. Just ask the Holy Spirit to transform you into one who follows after Jesus, who strives to fulfill his commands, who calls him in all honesty and truth, your Lord. Hey, thanks for coming today. Why don't you stand with me? I'm excited uh, that... People still, every Sunday, just about give their lives over to Jesus. Aren't you excited about that? Uh, So we had multiple that said, I want to give my life to Christ today. Uh, The real test becomes when when you walk out of this room, out of this building, and begin to try to live out the reality of Christ Jesus as Lord. But I'm excited that you would say, I want to do that. I want to be moving in that direction. And so here's my prayer for you today. May you make time to reflect on what matters. May the Holy Spirit lead you to agonize over the cause of Christ. May you lift your eyes up to Christ, who is above all, And may you receive Jesus into your life, not just as Savior, but as Lord and Master too. God bless you. Sing this last song with us. We've got prayer workers at the side that would love to pray for you. If you slipped your hand up there, there are multiple. You can go and pray. But if you need prayer for anything, go get prayer during this song or after this song. And as always, I want to challenge you, just like you've been helped today, to take your next step towards God. Go out of here. Don't let it stop with you. Grab the Bible. Talk to somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a family member about Colossians 2, about these questions that we went through today. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. And enjoy your July 4th week. God bless.